Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 2nd of December, 2020. This is episode 331 of Bitcoin and Christian Moss is going to be joining us today. Christian is a lead game developer from uh, ZBD, which is not technically itself a games company. They are building tools for uh, board game companies, you know, game developers. Uh, and essentially what it is, it's uh, they're building plug-in economy engine tools, much like you build a a video game. And if you're going to build one, you're going to select a game engine or God forbid, build one yourself. Don't do that. Just, just buy one that's already been built. Um, But much like a game engine that you would select to build the game platform, your game on as a platform, uh, they're building economy tools, uh, economic tools to be able to plug into video games. So it's like an economic engine. So you'd select your game engine and then you'd select your economic engine from somebody like ZBD. And essentially they're sort of like the only guys that are doing it in either event. You're, you're going to hear all about it and you're going to hear about it for quite a while. This is the going to be the longest episode that I've ever cut So therefore, I'm going to get through these two little pieces of community news, and then we're going to head right on into the interview. Uh, You need to congratulate Jack Mallers. Uh, Really uh, reach out to him on Twitter uh, and tell him congratulations for for getting into Forbes. What is it? Uh, Yeah, the Forbes under 30 list. Jack Mallers is on the Forbes under 30 list. And he's not the only Bitcoiner, although I am remiss. I did not put her uh, her announcement in here. I think it's Amiti, A-M-I-T-I or something like that. She's actually a, a younger core developer. <clears throat> has been working on Bitcoin for a while. She also made Forbes under 30. So congratulate both of those people. Also, congratulations need to go out to our friends at Crypto Cloaks, who, as they closed out their November numbers, apparently they were quite surprised because they said, we thought it would be hard to beat our latest all-time high sales in October, and we were greatly mistaken. We crushed our best month in three years by 93%. We nearly doubled it. Sitting here now humbled AF and in awe. Seriously, thank you, Bitcoin misfits. So, plebs or plebes, however you pronounce it, uh, reach out to Crypto Cloaks, tell them congratulations. Uh, so all three of these all three of these folks, uh, Bitcoin boys have done good, and girls too. Come on, you know, a media is not, not a guy. Anyway, whatever. Hey, let's talk to Christian. Christian, welcome to Bitcoin and how you doing today, man? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. 
All right. Well, so your your title is lead game de- uh, developer at Zebedee. Is how's it, how do you pronounce? Is it ZBD or Zebedee? Yes, in America it would be Zebedee, but in <laughs> England it would be Zebedee. The, the word actually, um, the CEO actually came up with it, and uh, it, it's actually I think he got it's um kind of two origins. Originally, I think it's it's a biblical word actually. Um, like a fisherman yeah. if you google it but the ceo he knows it from a popular kids tv show there was a character called zebedee and i think he just picked it up from that and he wanted a name which you know didn't really have any meaning or association that people would would know and you know it's 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 actually um what do you call it uh a backronym or an acronym it's like um oh, i've got, got the words for it a backronym i think it's called um yeah but it, 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 the whole point is it's not meant to mean anything specifically so <laughs> it's open to interpretation. nice okay so again you're you're our, your lead game developer that's your title right yeah i think head of game development technically but yeah okay okay so um i want to give the the listeners a, a bit of context and and the way that i, I, I you know kind of do that is to try to get into who you are and who anybody really is kind of sometimes, you know, generally speaking begins when they're younger. So can you uh, take me back to when you were a kid and what did you want to be when you grew up? Wow. Yeah. Let me think about it. Um, <laughs> a few things, right? I think I wanted to be Batman and Spider-Man at one point, but at the... nice. <laughs> I think like, I remember the two things I really wanted to be. I wanted, I wanted to be a scientist. I remember watching, um, I think it was back to the future as a kid and um i was like trying to make time machines a little kid and taking apart my parents you know vcr machines all that kind of stuff so it was like kind of like engineering and tinkering from an early age and then i had a phase where yeah. i wanted to be an nba basketball player um <laughs> nice i like this this is awesome yeah yeah i was like it was um i was from like a small town in england and you know basketball wasn't really that popular in England or it wasn't back in the nineties when I was growing up. So yeah, I was like right. the best basketball player in my town, but terrible <laughs> to anything in, in America. <laughs> and my, my <laughs> primary school or elementary school teacher kind of laughed at me when I said I wanted to be an NBA player being, you know, white and English. And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So that was the other okay to be, I guess, as a kid. Nice. So superhero, NBA star, scientist. That's not bad. That honestly, that kind of seems to be somebody who might actually end up in gaming. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually um I was actually kind of studying physics when I kind of fell into Bitcoin. Actually, kind of Bitcoin stopped me studying physics in a way. <laughs> in a way. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Although, although now, you know, when, after we dig, you know, once you dig down the rabbit hole enough, you get to the point where you're like, oh shit, this is thermodynamics. Well, actually that's kind of, it's, it's, that's um, probably one of the reasons why I kind of fell into gaming because physics in a way, it's very interesting, but you know, there's not a lot you can really do, I think, apart from teach it or do um, research that your theory might not be proven until you know 100 years when they can build the machines to prove it right so i don't know i'm, I'm probably speaking kind of ig, you know ig, ig, ignorantly here but i have a, a friend who's a theoretical physicist and he does seem a bit bored sometimes mm-hmm. you know kind of we're programming i guess engineering you can actually build something 
And um, one of the first yeah. things I enjoyed doing, I remember when I was like just starting off in game dev, I had to make my own game engine. It's a very simple game engine, but it was kind of a light bulb moment where it's like, oh, these equations, they actually do something. So I had to like do the equation yep. for gravity, you know? Um, and it's like, wow. So it was kind of, you know, it is kind of applied physics in a way. Um, yeah. So well, when did you fall into video games? I mean, as a kid, you know, as as a player, not, you know, before you started thinking about, God, I want to yeah, do yeah. this. Um, I remember um, the first thing. So I think my dad had like a computer um, and uh, I, I don't actually, I, I, my dad wasn't really a gamer, but he seemed to have bought a lot of the gaming consoles and like the PCs when they came out. I think he kind of did it just to, you know, to keep up with the Joneses kind of thing, right? When he had people over, he could look at this new machine we've got. Um, uh-huh. I remember early days, I was actually uh, playing, my dad had Monkey Island, if people know that game. And that was like the mm-hmm. first game I really remember playing and um, getting into. And then we just got like a Nintendo Entertainment System, the first one. So I remember just playing yep. a lot on that. Um, yeah, and then I guess like, you know, I was part of the PlayStation generation, right? So I played all the PlayStation games as well. Um but yeah, my earliest games were I remember was Monkey Island. Definitely spending um, when as a kid it was too difficult for me, <laughs> but spending hours yeah. trying to solve the puzzles there. And uh, yeah, yeah, that I remember uh, every time I came home from Christmas break, I'd from college, uh, I'd go over to a, a buddy of mine's house and we'd spend hours playing Sega's Road Rash. Okay. I you know, and it's like a, and I look at that game now and I'm like, you know, it, it's weird the way that graphics degrade over time, right? I mean, in, in your mind as, as, a, as a gamer or a player, something that you could have sworn was just the coolest thing that you've ever seen in your life. You see it five, just five years later and you're yeah. like, I, I, I can see where this is not good graphics anymore. And and the same thing happens in, you know, the same thing happens in movies, special effects. You know, I'll be looking at, I'll be looking at stuff that I watched, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And now that I know more about the underpinnings of some of this stuff, I'm looking at it going, yeah, I can, I can see the, I can see the actual polygon edges at this point. And then I'll be explaining it to my wife. And she's like, don't, don't ruin it for me. It makes you think like I kind of think the graphics we see in cinema now it's like they can't get any better. But maybe in ten years' time, you know, the last Star Wars would look terrible. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's 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 what you know. I think a lot about that, which is one of the reasons why I appreciate stuff like. Have you ever watched uh, the the Star Wars Clone Wars? No, I haven't watched it, but I know of them. Um, so they're like so yeah, so they're. Aren't they? um, yeah, they're all they're all 3D, you know, animated, but the the characters are purpose, you know, purposefully blocky and they actually look like they're made of wood. Uh, and I mean and and I mean when I mean made of wood, I don't mean like you can see the, you know, structure of the tree like it's actual wood. It's just really blocky and really woody and they don't have a hair solution where, you know, in, like the hair of the characters basically is static. Yeah. I mean, even when they're spinning around doing like fighting and you know, hair should be flinging everywhere. No, 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 man. It's like pasted to their head. And I think that ends up being something that will be able, you know, would have a life more in the future. 
yeah. than yeah. the latest hair solver, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, this is like a, as a game dev, this is like a trap like I and other people often fall into. You kind of want to make something hyper realistic, but in fact, doing something that's more simple and has an aesthetic to it is the thing that will last longer. And ultimately the thing that you could pull up, right? As I think they call it the uncanny valley, right? If you try to make something realistic, then your brain, you know, it feels strange because your brain knows it's trying to be perfect, but it never will be. Uh So, but if you do something, I guess, cartoony, then your brain accepts, okay, this isn't meant to be realistic and it kind of, it doesn't look strange. I think, I think it's probably a similar thing with Clone Wars, right? Yeah, exactly. That's like you never hit that uncanny valley in something like, you know, what George Lucas was doing in the animated series, because there's just it just doesn't allow you to go that far. It just basically stops you at a a visual point. And at that point, you're concentrating on the story. It's like you you come so far and then you just stop. Yeah, I watched the the new Mandalorian season two last night and a few things there I just could see. Oh, well, you know, okay, yeah there's the green screen kind of thing. And yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, you know, like what, you know, that's where, you know, lighting guys nowadays, I kind of feel bad for them because it's like, you know, lighting before green screen was like, you know, it was all about the set. And now it's like, no, you've got to match. You've got to be very, so very careful with the way the lights are. Otherwise, you're going to get people who go, dude, green screen. I can see it. I can see the edge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on your skill. Yeah, and uh, more about, you know, a little bit to just to finish up on that Uncanny Valley thing. Did you ever see that the movie Final Fantasy? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The animated- I know it well, the one that bankrupted. Was it Enix or Square? And then they had to join together to make Square Enix. I think that's the story, right? I. Yeah, I I mean, I was watching that movie. I'm just like, you know, I'm sitting there watching this thing going, this is amazing. And then I never realized that it had actually uh, done so poorly (laughs) at the box office and or, you know, not franchising it, but, you know, general distribution that it bankrupted the company. But there was this, I remember reading this, it it was a piece about Uncanny Valley and they were using Final Fantasy, the movie, as a general example of what that meant. And there was a couple of things that I, that I found interesting. One was that everything was so well done with the characters, at, especially at that time, that what really messed people up is that their eyes were quote unquote dead. Uh, I see. That it was like yeah. the only thing that they couldn't get right was the eyes. And that really sent people into this tailspin but there was this other piece that I remember, and it was the main character. I cannot remember her name, but she was, you know, basically in, in these kinds of things, you get these characters in 3D animated films, and there's a lead person for just that one character. And they may have a team of like three or four people, but generally speaking, this one character, you know, one character is done by this one person. Well, this one woman was doing the main character. And she was called, if I remember the story right, she was called into the office to talk about, you know, everything about her character from the polygon count to texturing to the way that it was, the shaders were interacting with the lighting. And they told her it looked too real. And she had to go back and redo her textures and, and lighten up on, you know, lighten up the strengths of the shaders 
so that it was quote unquote dumbed down because she had done such a fabulous job. And I'm like, wow, that I would have never expected that in a million years. Somebody to say it looks too real. Oh, interesting. I'd like to see what the original looked like then, you know, (laughs) I would too. That's what, that's what I wanted to know. Uh, And I also wonder if it was something to do with, yeah, her character's crushing our render farm. Let's, uh, can we call her in? (laughs) Well, I I guess it was like, you know, something that's kind of processed. They could just, render it for longer but was it was it just too long you know the, the bill would have been too expensive i don't know but yeah yeah i i, I wonder about that too i've set up a couple of render farms uh at a in the university setting myself pixar's pixar's render man and woo boy you can you can chew through a lot of electricity sure, well, you can you really can yeah, yeah. you really can Lightning. so, so let, yeah Let's talk a little bit about uh, Zebedee. So what, when did this Zebedee thing get thought up? Yeah. So it's kind of, I guess it's um, it's kind of like a nice long story of things coming together. So actually I wasn't the person who came up with Zebedee. I was brought on board. Uh, so the, actual, the, okay. the CEO, Simon, it was kind of his uh, kind of baby in a way. Um, so Simon, yeah, so he used to work at Bitstamp the Exchange. And um I think a lot of kind of light bulbs went off in people's heads once the lightning network was coming into fruition and kind of lightning and gaming is an obvious kind of onboard mechanism mm-hmm. and a good match for, for Bitcoin. So he originally came up with the idea, but he's you know, he he wasn't a developer nor a game. <laughs> developer so he was looking for kind of people to help make um lightning you know help bring Zebedee on board and uh simon was actually a fan of one of my early so i i, I made a bitcoin game in 2014 a very simple game but i think it was like one of the first ones it was on the ios app store you know and um yeah it was like a simple game where you tap a screen and you swing a monkey a kind of a casual game, but if you played the game, the game would just tip you in Bitcoin. And Simon was a, uh-huh. a fan of that game, and uh, he remembered me and reached out to me. And at the time, I was actually in Japan um, building something very similar to Zebedee with the Japanese company. You know, we, we, it, it was um, yeah, kind of basically monopolizing on the fact that the Lightning Network was live, and we can kind of start to do these microtransactions and things in gaming. Uh, however, that kind of company in Japan <laughs> that were doing it, there was a little bit of a, of a, a dispute between the founders. Um, I think, long story short, some of the founders wanted to go a bit more blockchain-y, and the other founder wanted to focus on Lightning. Anyway, it didn't really uh-huh. work out, and um, I was kind of in between kind of things, and I actually entered um, a Lightning gaming hackathon uh, uh, Bitcoin 2019 conference. So I made a bunch of sample games kind of for the hackathon. And one of the games was like a Street Fighter game. But as you're fighting and punching each other, it's streaming Satoshis between the players. And um, I ended up winning the the hackathon. And then I met up with Simon there. And it just seemed like, you know, um, we should get together and help make, you know, help bring this thing to the masses and then we also got another co-founder on board who was doing something s- similar as well called andre nevis so i'm not sure if you were aware there was um 
do you remember Satoshi's Place? The um, yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, so Andre teamed up with the creator of Satoshi's Place, um, Lightning Koala, and they were making like a, uh-huh. a lightning kind of chess game and kind of a company uh, around that. Um, so we kind of had these three people. So I was like the kind of the game dev. Um, Andre was very much a, a lightning engineer. And Simon was like the business financial guy, you know? So my problem was I could kind of make kind of games and stuff, but I wasn't really a big systems engineer. And um, I didn't know anything about business. Um, Andre wasn't really a game dev, but he knew about how to make a system stable, but he didn't really know about business. And Simon knew the business, but he didn't really know the gaming or the engineering. So all three of us together, we kind of had all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, and we launched, I think we launched last year at the lightning conference. Yeah. So that's kind of the kind of story of how it all came together. Well, that's actually kind of perfect because generally speaking, uh, uh, a triangle, well, not triangle, but a, a, a three-legged stool is pretty much the most stable seat that you can have. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it kind of lets us focus on our things, you know, like I, I had started to do some, my own company before, but I just, wanted to focus on the gaming side. I hated the business and the fundraising, you know, and I, I felt right. distracted. And then, you know, I guess the same for the other people. So yeah, it's a really good combination. Yeah, it takes, it takes you know, a team of extroverts and introverts to be able to pull these, you know, these yeah. kinds of things off. You know, extroverted people have a tendency to be the guys who's like, oh, I can go get funds. I can do that. But I, I don't know how to program myself out of a wet paper bag. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this that brings me to the question of lead game developer. Um, and one of the things that I'm trying to do on, you know, on this podcast, especially when I get into the gaming stuff is to ask questions like, you know, it's one of those things where I, if I just, you know, we talk about, you know, if we were to brush over what I'm about to ask you about, then people would be like, well, what the hell is a lead game developer? So that I, that's the question is, you know, even me, who's been in gaming since God, I, I mean, since literally I've been in gaming since Asteroids, Missile Command, Tron, and, and stand-up games that you pumped quarters in, and they put it in arcades in the mall. And even I have questions about, well, what does a lead game developer actually do? I mean, what, what's that? What is that job? Yeah, well, um, I think... Before I just answer that, it's probably best to give a little bit of context about what that means with Zebedee. So I think um, Zebedee, we're not actually a gaming studio. We're focused on making tools and SDKs for other game developers. We kind of took the decision that, you know, if you're not a proper gaming studio, you're probably not going to make a great game. So we kind of want to make the tools and kind of team up with another studio, a real studio. And their games would kind of be the showcase games, right? Um, So... We focus on APIs and SDKs mainly. That's our business model. However, we know that we kind of need to get the ball rolling. So we kind of need to kind of make some sample games or just make some games just to start start it off. So that's kind of what I do in a way. Um, we've really been focusing it just kind of, um, we're quite, I'm quite lucky that it's more about making kind of prototypes and fun games that kind of, you know, um, push the edge of, lightning and bitcoin rather than having to make a game that is going to be like the core part of the business um yeah so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of making these um a bunch of sample games that we do at mint gox i'm sure 
we'll get into into that. But to answer your question, what a lean yeah. game developer does, um, I suppose it. I guess it's kind of the same as what a, a lead developer does in a way. You know, um, when your company is small, generally you'll be called the lead developer, but you'll probably be the developer that develops everything right you know so you're doing most of the right. coding and you're doing the small tasks to the big tasks you kind of it's your responsibility of like what specific languages you use and you know what kind of systems you use however as the company grows and you have you might have junior developers underneath you um which i have one at the moment then the lead developer role i think kind of changes a little bit um so that you are mm -hmm. kind of the junior developer is taking care of like the small tasks, you know, the, the simple tasks, the bug fixes, where the lead developer is probably trying to tackle the more difficult challenges. So at the moment, it's kind of my role is um, I'm trying to tackle some of the more difficult challenges of integrating Bitcoin and Lightning into gaming. And uh, I have um, a, a junior game developer who kind of takes a lot of weight off my shoulder so I can concentrate on that. Um, I guess that's more specific to developing with game developing in 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 like in more detail. Uh, I, I, at the moment, we we do Unity development, which is like the most popular game engine, I guess, for indie developers, small studios, and mobile developers. So right. um, at the moment, I kind of do a bit of everything. You know, I kind of I do some asset creation. I do kind of design in UX. I do programming the algorithms um we are getting a game designer on board soon it's going to kind of take over the kind of more design elements of it yeah but i don't know uh -huh. i wear a lot of hats at the moment so, as, as a lead developer i would say so then as like like you bring on the the uh, uh game designer so at this point you start adding more management stuff, uh, general manager skills to the to the skill set, and reduce your load on you know programming. Or is it like no, you're just adding more stuff to your plate. You still got to do all the programming and whatnot. Yeah, uh, well, I ideally it would be that you know it would reduce my load, right? So like game development, one of the most time consuming things for developers specifically is like making assets and thinking of the ui and ux I, I i don't know about other people but i find it find it quite hard to i can either be in my designing headspace or i can be in my programming headspace but it's quite difficult to kind of go back and forth because it's like different parts of the brain right so in a right. way it's just nice that i don't have to think about design and, and also there's kind of with game development generally there's a problem that if you are building the stuff and you're also designing it there's you kind of subconsciously design stuff which is easy to build which might not be the best way to do it you know so you might want to do this really nice ui ux add this nice feature but because you know you've got to build it you might you kind of persuade yourself to do something that doesn't look as good this it's easier to build so i, I think that's one of the things where it'll kind of um take pressure off me but you know also help the general process um to answer your other question yeah it, it's again i think it depends on, on the size of the company so me being lead developer i'm have a bit more of a managerial role as we add more kind of people under me 
with me. I don't have it under. Right. However, as the company grows, then we would might have like, you know, a head of game development who wouldn't be doing any developing at all. Um, they would just be like right. a, a project manager and then I could focus on programming. So I, I think it's kind of where the company's at and who you're hiring. I kind of think in, in, in it, um, I'm not sure, I guess you probably are, since you've been in gaming for a while, but John Carmack from it, it, it Software, I think it's kind of an interesting yeah. thing. And I think a lot of developers like to be like him. We want to have like control over the creative process but we also don't want to kind of outsource all the building of it to somebody else because we want to build something ourselves so i kind of feel like i'm a bit like that and i'm quite happy being like that i wouldn't want to be like the person who just manages all the games and doesn't actually build anything so um right well so you know there's gaming is has come from you know well gaming goes back for you know millennia when you get yeah. right down to it. So this is all, you know, gaming has always been something that's been with the human condition ever since we, you know, probably aped ourselves out of the trees, but um, video games in general and the use of computers and, and, you know, programming languages has really been in development since, you know, the seventies really caught on in the eighties and then boom, we've got home consoles and the, you know, night, you know, from the night, you know, really hot, nice game consoles from the nineties, you know, up until now. So there's not going to be any litting up of how interested, you know, humans are in games, which leads me to this, this other question is, you know, for somebody who's young, who says, I want to build video games and they're not even in high school yet. Can you possibly give like a, a route to like the, the types of things that you would want to study, you know, post high school, like getting into college, I mean, does it have to be programming? Can you can you be in game development and kind of not do that? Or is it like, no, man, C++ for you? <laughs> well, I actually get this question quite a lot, especially um, I think I, just like friends and family who have kids. I think a lot of kids want to, like, I guess gaming is everything for kids nowadays, right? It, it seems to me that kids yeah. either want to do a job making games or they want to do a job playing games on Twitch. <laughs> the two things that, yeah. Yes. So I, I have had a lot of like parents and stuff reach out to me and said like, you know, so your nephew or, or my son wants to kind of be a game developer. What should he do? And um, actually probably not the, the best <laughs> to answer that because I kind of fell into gaming. by I didn't study it at college or anything. Um, it just, I actually uh -huh. started it because, well, I studied computer science at college uh, but my college, the way it was run, we didn't actually, I think we did like one semester of programming, but we didn't actually do much programming at all. It was all kind of theoretical. It, it was more the sciencey, And then for some reason it went on this like computers and society kind of year, which is nonsense oh. kind of thing. But I left. Kind of, oh God. Yeah. It was, it, it was kind of, we, we, we actually ended up kind of threatening to sue the university, you know, for our money back it was like they didn't actually have any computer scientists or programmers to teach the courses and the course was new so wow. they got like people they got like other lecturers who weren't programmers and engineer teacher anyway <laughs> anyway i left that feeling like well i don't know how to program so i just went to youtube and learned you know okay well maybe there's you know how to build an, an iphone app that's where i started really was how to build an iphone app on 
YouTube and the fun, the most enjoyable things to make were games. So that's how I kind of fell into it, just making iPhone games for fun. Um, so I kind of like to say that, you know, like I said that, you know, my kind of advice is just play around with it, right? You know, you don't necessarily need to go to college. Like that's great if you want to, and I'm sure there's valuable skills, but it's so easy now for anybody just to make a game. You just need like a laptop or a computer. And um, there's a bunch of different game engines that you can use. I guess the issue is um, the difficult part is you get children who don't really like coding or aren't that way inclined, but they want to make games, right? And then you get ones who love coding. So I suppose, luckily, I'd, I like programming. So, you know, if, you know it, for kids to learn to play around with code at an early age is great, you know, and, and obviously that gives them the most power. However, I, I understand there's kids who love games and they're creative, but, you know, the, the thought of having to program in a dry language would probably kill their passion for making games. Um, Agreed. I think there are like, you start to see these kind of platforms where you make games within games. So stuff like Roblox, right? I think that's a platform. Yeah. So I think these are coming out and people in a way, you know, they make these kind of games in these kind of closed ecosystems. And I, I haven't actually looked into Roblox, but I'm sure there are games that non-programmers have made that are popular and that are enjoyed by other people. Um, and I, oh, programming, yeah. you know, I'm a game developer, but it's nothing like to what people did in the past, right? When they would make games in assembly language. When I code with Unity, it's coding, but probably a real game developer wouldn't see it as coding. They say, well, that's not really programming, right? So I think if we keep going down that path, then maybe making games becomes more and more abstracted when it kind of gets to the level that people who aren't necessarily a programmer but have some basic logic understanding can make nice games. Um, that's what I, I, I would say about that. Um, no, that that actually makes sense. I mean, there's there's a, a huge movement of people who are, you know, we're, and I'm one of them. You know, I'm looking at I'm looking at college right now. I mean, I enjoyed going to college. I had fun, but I went to college at a time that it didn't cost you your entire future because you had to put yourself into debt. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm looking at what college is offering versus how much it costs and, you know, either whether you pay for it out of pocket now or God forbid, you know, go into $400,000 worth of debt to go, you know, go get one of these degrees. And I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's, I'm thinking about telling my, you know, well, I've already told my kids. I'm like, look, if you want to go to college, it has to be something that you want to do and you're going to have to pay for it. And no, I'm not going to co-sign a student loan. So either you get a job and you do what you can, or you figure out another path to be able to do the things that you want to do that don't include college. And I, that's at that point, that's, that's the only advice that I can give them because I'm not sure if going to college right now is really, is really all that good. It can be, if you want to be a brain surgeon, you probably should go to medical school, but you know, that kind of thing. It depends on the <laughs> you know, subject, right? Yeah. Obviously I think if you're going to be a surgeon, college is probably, you know, medical college but that's probably a bit different like you know there's different types of colleges right you know you kind of have the more stem and then you have the humanities and you know i think that's where it would get a bit you know difficult like i i don't know too much about in the states but in 
England, there's kind of this, or the, the UK, I should say, there's kind of this feeling that, actually, well, I shouldn't say that because England, college is different in England than it is in Scotland. In Scotland, it's still free. Well, it was free last time I checked. I went okay. in England, it wasn't because they got like, they're all, they're quite devolved. But I kind of think maybe English tax money pays for their free college. It gets quite complicated. But um, yes, it does. There was this kind of feeling that like, um, the, there was, it was a good, kind of big, promotion by the government at the time that they wanted to make every kid go to college and i think a, a lot of young people were kind of in a way sold a lie that they could go to college and they could study anything they wanted and they could come out with a good job where you know that was how it was sold and then like you know the kind of you know you get a loan you don't have to worry about it at the moment kind of thing and i think there's a lot of people went to college and they you know they studied something that they didn't you know that they were interested in but they they also would assume they would get a job after it and you know they didn't right you know so i i, I guess it's a kind of cliche you know about you know it, you go to college and you study philosophy then you end up working at mcdonald's or something right you know and quoting right. quoting you know um i don't know a philosopher um hegel it's just Serving a Big Mac <laughs> or something. I think Bruce Lee said that, yeah. didn't he? That's a, a Bruce Lee quote or something like he studied philosophy so he could take long, deep thoughts about being unemployed. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. about Bruce Lee. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. But like, I think that's fine if you go there and you know you're going to have to pay for it. But going there thinking that like the world is going to guarantee you a job is specifically that if you know the government has kind of given you that message I, I i think was wrong in a way you know and um yeah well that's not the only wrong government messaging we've been giving uh, given i've been i'm thinking you know i've been under the not well i'm laboring under more than an assumption that we've been lied to about a great many things for a great length of time sure. <laughs> but it, that being neither here nor there, let's talk about the payments platform. Yeah. Uh, Cause this is pretty much the, the meat and potatoes of what Zebedee is yeah. doing. And what I kind of want to do here is give you my thoughts on, on when I'm looking at Zebedee, I'm like looking at crawling over the website I'm looking at the LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't have a whole lot on it, yeah. but so, and I'm, you know, kind of going through the blog and I'm looking at it going, and, and we kind of, me and you kind of touched on this earlier that you're not, I mean, you're kind of making games only as a showcase of certain things, sort of like when Unreal Engine came out, like, God, was it the 90s? And they had, they basically had a companion game. And the way that I got a hold of it was it just, I, I think it just came for free with something else that I had bought. And I plug in this game and I'm like captivated, you know, and it, it was made by the, you know, the guys over at Unreal, but it was never meant ever meant to do anything other than showcase to other game developers what the engine could actually do. So when I'm looking at game engines, I'm looking at, okay, we have this platform that a game, a game studio who doesn't have their own game engine because gone are the days of building your own from scratch every single damn time. It takes too long. It's too expensive. So, you know, now they'll, they'll buy seat licenses to Unreal or they'll figure out a way to pay Unity their percentage on whatever revenue they make. That's a, a new model. Um, you know, the, you got 
the cry engine and they, and those guys built crisis to be able to, yeah. you know, show showcase what their game engine could do. And now I'm looking at Zebedee and I'm like, well, they're not, they're not going to build their own game engine for sale. And they're not really in the business of building their own games. So what is it? And I'm like coming up with, I think what they're doing is they're building an economics engine for gaming, just like a studio would say, okay, we're going to build a game. So we got to select unreal. Uh, we're, we know that. And now we need to reach out to a company and buy the, or buy rights to an economic engine so that we can build our economy. Is that really far off no, the mark or is I it kind it of it up quite well, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's what Zebedee stands for. It's um, the actual, the acronym is something like Zebedee empowers Bitcoin engine, something. I can't remember exactly this, you know, but yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, but that's the idea in a way it's, you know, um, it's basically to game developers want to focus on making games, but you know, they also want to kind of enable this kind of open instant economic activity between the players so they can use our engine, our API, our SDK. And then, um, yeah, um, players can, you know, stream Bitcoin between them and the game developer doesn't have to worry about the channels and the rebalancing and then all these things. And, you know, and we also have a wallet, which we, it's just, come out so game developers can even say hey use this wallet and you know it in a way it's to take all that complexity and um confusion off of the game developers you know as you said you know game developers now don't want to think about the engine right they don't want to have to make their own engine so right it's yeah it's very much a similar thing so micro the microtransactions sdk that you guys that you guys have is is a set of tools but before we get in start pulling some of this out you know soft uh sdk stands for software development kit is can you nutshell for somebody who's not seen one or does i mean they're they're using they're kind of using them in a way or they're using what has come out of somebody else using an sdk but can you kind of nutshell what an sdk really is in general yeah i suppose it's just like a simple interface to another service right you know so um obviously if you want to use the zebedee platform an sdk is it's like a an interface for your game development environment that lets you kind of interface with the platform as easily as possible you know um yeah okay. i think that so, explain it well. so that'd be something like you would just oh sorry I, I didn't mean to interrupt you but that's just something like an sdk would be something like a plug-in yeah that says, that's a good way okay, we'll, we'll drop this in here and it's going to give us this functionality. But when, when that happens, it's, it's sort of like, you know, if, if somebody were to say, well, we'll just get this SDK and we'll drop it in and it'll work. And we all laugh because we know that that's not exactly true. How much work has to go, you know, and this may be too hard of a question to really answer, but if I got a game and it's built on the Unity engine and it's like a 2D platformer and I want to drop in the SDK, how much wiring would I be looking at doing once I drop that thing? In? Yeah, well, I, um, I made a video showing how to do it and uh, not much. Oh. Um, yeah, um, really like, so there's a few parts to it. So it's not just the SDK. We also have like a developer dashboard kind of kind of interface. But basically, yeah, you basically okay. kind of drop the SDK in, 
And um, you can get like the sample scene running very quickly. All you, all you have to do is go to your developer dashboard and make like a, an API key, we call it. And that gives uh -huh. you like, you know, it's like a, gives you, it's like, a, I get in a way, it's a bit like a password, but it's not. But you generate that on the dashboard and you drop that into the sample app and then you press play and then the sample app will let you kind of make a payment and also get a tip in Bitcoin. So like, it's very simple just to get started. You really just need an API key. And, you know, if you want to add yeah. that to your own game, you just basically would need to, you know, connect your game's UI to it. Um, however, um, I, I would say like, it, it really kind of depends on the complexity of the game. You know, so one of the things with Bitcoin and Lightning is like, I think it's it's still kind of undecided what exactly what gameplay people will want to use, like what new type of gameplay. So if you just want mm -hmm. to pay for things in Bitcoin, that's quite easy to do. But if you want to do things like streaming payments between players, then that might take a little bit more wiring. And at the moment, that Zebedee, I would say our... Our platform is open for anybody to kind of jump in and try out, but we're really in the early stages where we're basically more interested in working more directly with developers and kind of getting feedback, you know? So um, we have new studios right. who we're talking to and, you know, it's much more of like a partnered relationship where they will tell us what they want to do. And we'll say, okay, well, it will be possible to do it this way with our API, our SDK. But if you want another feature, let's talk about that. Let's see, you know, you know, it's kind of a bit growing kind of um, experience. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, but we do have like um, a video on the documentation, which shows um, how I use the Zebedee SDK to do like a, a simple payment and tip withdrawal with um, a Unity sample game. So Unity has these sample games, which are kind of developer standards, you know, that, you know, it's like a project that people use to learn about unity. Yeah. And it's, um, right. I think it's fairly simple. Obviously it could always be improved, uh, but it's a lot more simple than like spinning up your own lightning node and then creating macaroons and using the GRPC protocol to connect to it. Right. It's, um, right. It, it, exactly. And we, you know, and we are all, you know, all of us, in gaming or out of gaming, when it comes to Bitcoin, we're all so very early. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's, it's mind bending how early we actually are. I was thinking about it the other day, you know, Peter Schiff opened his mouth yesterday because we were hitting all time highs and said something. And I just wrote it back and I said, look, you know, the horse and the horse and wagon model has been around for seven millennia. That's not a bubble. That's adoption. But we're 12 years into a 7,000 year run. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and, and this brings us to like a, a place where we can kind of pause since we are talking about Bitcoin and we are talking about microtransactions via lightning. Let's stop and get your Bitcoin story. When did Bitcoin run over you and how much did it hurt? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's actually, I was, um, I was actually in Australia at the time. I was living in Sydney. And um, this is when I was like, I was studying physics and I was also had a job as a, like an iPhone developer for this kind of interesting company. It was, it was a bit, 
it was a great company and kind of a, a terrible company at the same time. Terrible in the <laughs> fact that it was it it was a printing company that used to just print flyers and brochures and stuff. Uh, but you know, due to like the digital revolution, you know, they got less and less requests for printing newsletters, and they got more for making digital version so the boss at the time decided to kind of pivot to become a kind of a digital studio you know so he got some developers to make websites and apps and i was the one he got on board to make an app you know to make apps and at the time australia they had like a 60 minutes special on this kid who made an iphone app and it kind of went to number one and he made like millions of dollars right uh, so we basically mm. the companies what it did is anybody who came th through the door with an app idea we'd you know we'd build it for them so that was what it was you know i was the guy that we'd have like also we have like farmers coming in saying i've got this great idea for an app and then we'd build it for like uh -huh. 20 grand which is not a lot to make an app and then they you know, they'd get right. the app and then complain when it didn't make them a million dollars <laughs> so um, <laughs> anyway, had a bunch of them i made like a i think i made angry bees and angry bear and <laughs> angry chickens, all, all these kind of ideas. Anyway, I was just like plowing through these app machines. And then eventually one app came, some guy wanted us to make a Bitcoin wallet. You know, and uh, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And um, it's like a Bitcoin wallet, but also like a social media thing. This must have been like 2013. Uh, yeah. Wow. Somebody was thinking early because that's where we're heading right now. Well, yeah. Well, apparently that's, you know, like it's, I think it's early, but then, you know, I speak to people who are like, playing around with it even before then right so but yeah but like i didn't know what bitcoin was at the time and uh i say like, what's bitcoin and then uh, my co-worker um who like sat in the corner um he was like a bit quiet and kind of i would say quiet he was stoic and he just kind of, like, spun uh -huh. around on his chair and he was like the secret libertarian who was like a gold bug and a bitcoin <laughs> bug and he kind of like you know gather around children let me <laughs> tell you all about it and he had like secretly been kind of like you know buying bitcoin for a while and then um, my other co-worker said, like, oh, yeah, Bitcoin, I've heard about that. And then, um, yeah, I just literally, that's how I kind of got into Bitcoin. I had to learn about it to make that app. And uh, I, right. I, the thing is, a lot of people say they first hear Bitcoin and they were like kind of skeptical about it. But uh -huh. for me, it was, I think at the time I was also going through a kind of, it was like my first real job. And then I was, I was kind of becoming a bit more of a libertarian, I guess, because, you know, I started to have to pay taxes and stuff. <laughs> and my yeah. boss would do this thing. So my boss, he was a really great guy. It's like one of those kind of salt of the earth, down to earth people. And um, every time he'd give me a paycheck, he'd always say, this is how much I want to pay you. This is how much you're getting. And this is how much and uh. he, he would do this. And in Australia, you get paid every two weeks. So it happened quite a lot. Um yeah, so I guess all that combined, I just kind of, yeah, this makes sense kind of thing. And it attracted me from that kind of economic philosophical side, but also as in like a de developer, you know, always want to play around with new tech. Yeah, so that was kind of how right. I got into it, I suppose. Well, that, that's interesting because, um, you know, you grew up with games, you know, you, you were, you know, doing app development, you know, and probably a couple, you know, well, and, and definitely, you know, developing some games at the time. We're always interested in it. You must have come across 
you know, the many, many, many instances where a economy was introduced into a game and it was immediately broken by a gold duplication bug or an item duplication bug. The first thing on my mind when I hit Bitcoin was exactly that, you know, watching these games that they, they did all this work to build this economy and they were going to release it to the world. You know, World of Warcraft comes out and within six weeks, the economy is yeah. completely trashed because a 13 year old figured out how to make 10 million gold coins within seconds. Yeah. And how did that, did that not ever enter your mind when you first saw Bitcoin? Because it did mine. Yeah. Um, I think that specifically didn't enter my mind. That's something I kind of, I learned about after when I started to look at kind of more complex economies in gaming, because I was trying to think like, well, how does Bitcoin work in the game? Like how, from an economic point. And then, yeah, you hear all these stories about the world of Warcraft gold issue and it's been a few famous cases. And uh, um, I think some of these games studios have hired professional economists and even Nobel Prize winning ones to try and help their yes. economy. Um yeah, I think it's, it's it's quite interesting. And like, you know, can Bitcoin fix that? Uh, does it change it? Like, will Bitcoin be the base unit for an economy in a game? Or is it more like, is it going to be more like, you know, a, a store of value in the game and the game has its own fiat currency? I think it's a very interesting kind of sandbox, at least. And um, yeah, I'm very excited to see kind of where players take it, right? It, it, it also kind of does add a different issue in a way that, you know, it... I think it kind of increases the incentives for people to kind of cheat and hack in games as well, right? If you have, you know, the game currency is actually worth something now. Yeah, it's it's yeah. fascinating. And uh, there's quite a few interesting videos on YouTube that kind of go into this in, in depth. Um, God, could you imagine Noriel Rubini being on your game development team as the chief economist? <laughs> well, no. But... How fun would that be? <laughs> it's like, have you hired the most unfun person in the world to work on a game? Yeah. Are you insane? <laughs> I think, though, it's like, can you compare a game economy to um, a real? I don't know, because I guess a real economy, in a way, it's somewhat limited by, you know, resources right but in a game economy you know it, it you know resources are technically free right because you can digitally make them right so i think there's all these kind of right differences right you know where um things it might not be a complete accurate model um but i don't know like i think i'm definitely starting to see kind of interesting behave behavioral changes in players that we have on our kind of sample games that you wouldn't see unless your game had Bitcoin in it, I think, you know. Um. That's the thing that I'm most excited to see is the organic growth, how, not growth, but the, the organics behind the fact that you've got a bunch of human minds and they're all focused on this one thing, this this economy or this token or whatever. And how can they use the game mechanics to get them more of that token? And it's always been that way, in, especially in video games. But now that, you know, I can have like a Zebedee wallet, I was talking to my wife and she was asking me about this particular, you know, what I was going to ask in this interview. And I was like, you know, we were just kind of chit-chatting and and I was telling her about like the, uh, oh, what was it? Not, oh, hold on. I, I got to look at your y'all's website here for a sec. 
uh where is it where is the it? website is going to be updated oh, soon that's our like first website so <laughs> we, we got a better one coming just wanted to mention that <laughs> uh this is like the mario Kart okay clone. bitcoin rally yeah that, that that was a nice happy accident in a way <laughs> that thing i was watching video of that and it's really really slick but um you know i was like telling her i'm like oh okay there's this you know mario kart racing game and you know, I, I can sit there and race and people can throw me power ups and some, you know, I, I, you know, and it's going into this wallet. But the thing about it is, is that this wallet, if it was such that I had a vendor in the real world that was selling, I don't know, tacos, and they were accepting lightning payments at the taco stand, then I can take my game winnings yeah. directly from my game wallet and scan a QR code and boom, we're, we're kind of done. I didn't have a bank. I didn't have to sell it into fiat. I didn't have to do anything. And that connection between in the inside of a game to the outside of the game kind of, you know, it, it gives me pause, but it gives me even extra pause because you were saying something about, you know, the difference between a real world economy and the fact that things are scarce here on earth in the, in the real quote unquote real world. I'm, I'll get to that in a sec. And this simulation or simulated economy inside of a game. And the first thing that, you know, when you were saying that, I was thinking about something that I've thought about before is, well, if, if this entire, there's several theoretical physicists and some other thinkers who, you know, they haven't proven by any shadow of a doubt, but they're starting to think that it's possible that this is a holographic simulation that we all live in. Now I don't run around living my life that that's the truth i i actually live my try yeah. to live my life like no no not not a simulation but the idea is weird because if it is a simulation then we ourselves have a simulated economy so what the hell does a real economy even look like is this like a plato's ideal form of a chair in this case like a lot of, plato's yeah. ideal form of an economy well i kind of think a lot yeah, of, the, the phyllis go on sorry. go ahead i was gonna say like a probably a lot of young people have never actually seen a real economy anyway, even if it wasn't the thing. Yeah. Even if the, you know, uh, honestly, I take that one to heart too, because even if this was a complete holographic simulation in the neuron of some giant being, we, we've already, we've already simulated our, our own economy. I mean, the federal reserve central bank, you know, the, the bank of England, the bank of France, it's, it's become, it's become untenable. And one of the things that I really like about gaming is that not only has it always been an escape from reality for a lot of people for, you know, a few minutes to a few hours out of their day, but now it's possible that they can escape their actual shitty economy yeah. inside that, that like, so it's a double escape mechanism. So before I get off of, of, you know, the, the aspects of Bitcoin, I wanted to ask you, when was it that you got struck by lightning? Oh, um, well, originally, so my, I had a, um, my, my first Bitcoin games, I had like three or four, but the two main ones back in like 2014, 15. And one was like a casual mobile game where you kind of make a monkey fly and it, it kind of throws Bitcoin at you. I, I also had a Bitcoin... <laughs> geocaching game where people would go around like the world and they would drop Bitcoin for others to pick up. Um, yeah. So yeah. all these games were going quite well. Yeah. I had a lot, like a lot of users and people were enjoying it. And then like, it just, you know, it didn't scale. Right. You know, the fees became pretty crazy and um, yeah. And the game was becoming more and more 
difficult to run. Um, so I kind of just kind of shelved them or paused them. And then I, I kind of, you know, I was, I was very much, I guess, involved in the scaling debate. So I was kind of watching both sides and trying to see, you know, what's going to happen. And then, you know, during the scaling debate, the lightning um, paper came out, right? And then um, it seemed to make sense to me, you know, I had this idea that one of my games at the time, I think, I can't remember the exact stats, but it was taking up more block space than it should have. You know? I think it was, you know, and I think, well, if my game, that it's not even a popular game compared to like a real popular game, you know, at the time Angry Birds was very popular. Like if just one game can make this many transactions, it's, you know, we we need a better approach to scaling and lightning, you know, isn't perfect. It doesn't solve everything, but that seemed like the way to go. So yeah, so literally that was it. Right. And then it was just waiting for it to be developed. I was playing around with the early versions. Um, the first time I I remember I did it, I think it was when the, the new Star Wars came out. I remember actually, because I was going to the cinema to see it when I was in Japan and I made a prototype game using it. And then the payment didn't work because the channel couldn't be <laughs> routed. So um, and there right. was like a few more a year until that kind of um, matured. And we um, the the first time we actually tried it, I was um, we did a with this Japanese company. We we brought my game back and did it on Lightning in kind of like a open beta style that the person would play the game and they'd have the Lightning wallet accompanying you know. A, a separate one that would kind of link with the game. And I think during the kind of the testing, we did like 20,000 transactions in about two weeks and like the fees were nothing, right? You know, um, so that was like very, very promising. And then that company had its own issues. And then I did the the lightning hackathon and we started Zebedee. Um, yeah, so yeah, I suppose there were a few kind of lightning strikes. So yes, the original paper and then actually seeing it in action. And now actually I, I kind of get struck by lightning quite frequently now. So we just had Mint Gox two days ago on Sunday. And in the course of yeah, in the course of uh two hours, um Zebedee and also with Thunder Games, who I believe you've had that on your podcast. I think together we did like close to ten thousand transactions in just two hours, right? <laughs> and uh, Nice. The only thing that limited the number of transactions is we we ran out of Bitcoin to give. You know, if you give us, if somebody a whale there wants to give us a lot of Bitcoin, we could do we could just be doing thousands of transactions all the time, right? And it, you know, and it's it's yeah, it's just it just makes sense, right? And it's kind of feels a lot like what I thought Bitcoin was initially as a game developer, but you know, it's it's coming back now. Um, well, good, good. So I, I wanted I, I wanted to ask, and and we're coming up on an hour, so I don't want to I don't want to keep you over because I know you're you know probably getting hungry at this I, point. But, um, I quite enjoy. It. Okay, okay, good. The the thing that I wanted to ask was, remember we were talking about you know a stu a game studio may say, okay, well I'm, I'm going to select X game engine to you know to build the the my game on, but I need to go and find a, an economy uh, engine. How is it that Zebedee works with other game studios? Is there, I mean, I'm assuming that you guys are developing that model, but generally speaking, is it something where 
some companies know of you and come to you and say, please help. Or do you guys cold call yeah. other gaming companies and say, Hey, we've got this thing. How does that kind of business development work? Are you into that at all or know anything yeah, yeah, about for that? Sure. So it's kind of been a little bit disrupted. So originally we had built, um, we had like a few games. So we actually had like this, this fighting game and we had um, like a, a Pokemon go style geocaching game. So these were kind of the two games that we were going to, we had, developed in quick succession and we were going to go to all these conferences and basically have a nice cool booth people could come they could play the game and they could just get bitcoin and experience bitcoin streaming and they could do like a pokemon go style bitcoin treasure hunt and you know then that would appeal to other game developers at the conference and um you know um, i'm not sure if you've been to any game conferences but you kind of set up meetings with people you meet there so that was kind of what we were planning to do to kind of, you know, get the word out to other studios. But then of course, you know, COVID like kind of stopped, you know, yeah, everything got canceled. So we basically quickly in the course of two weeks, we, we set up Mint Gox One, uh, you know, just to kind of, kind of bring something, you know, to fruition. And then that, that's, that's kind of pivoted to more of a consumer facing thing. So now actually as Mint Gox is becoming more successful, we're actually slowly at the moment, we're not, we haven't been chasing the game studios this year because, you know, we've decided to focus more on just kind of building the community through Mint Gox. And then once, you know, game conferences or events are kind of open again, we kind of had like, look, you know, look what we've done this last year. We've got some really good metrics. So um, there's something called a day one retention, which is, basically um you know how many of your players who download the game come back the next day and uh, right. ourselves and also jack from thunder games who like i think the average is something like 25 percent, but you know um, we're yeah. just hitting over 50 you know um yeah nice. so we're, you know and people are excited and if you put bitcoin into a game it's crazy that people aren't even earning that much. They're earning like small sats, but it, I don't know. They just tend to want to play it more, right? You know, it's it must be like a psychological thing. Anyway, kind of the plan is that now we have this kind of Mint Gox kind of community growing and we're kind of improving the games. And we also have some exciting, I can't talk too much about it, but we have some kind of AAA games that will be able to integrate Zebedee with so people will be able to play kind of popular titles that they play anyway and also kind of um earn bitcoin with them so yeah once we now we have all that together we're really just gonna kind of start to um approach the gaming studios we do have some connections um so we've had like there are some game studios we're working with and we've actually had um I can't say who it is, but we've had a meeting with um, the CEO of uh, a billion dollar game company. And it's kind of in an mm. egg problem. So these kind of larger game studios, they are really excited about it, but they're obviously not going to risk their whole kind of user base on a new tech. And this tech is still early. Um, however, you know, right. a lot of them, a lot of these game companies, they actually kind of, they incubate or they have kind of more, I wouldn't say secret, but kind of less 
publicly kind of smaller game studios where they often experiment with, you know? Um, so yeah, like I didn't know it at all, but like some games that like some small games you see on steam are actually kind of owned by larger game studios. And, and this is where the kind of like AB testing. So initially we kind of see it that we kind of, um, we're probably going to start off with more kind of, I guess, one-off competitions or tournaments. So for example, a, a game, you know, could do an esports tournament or have an event that, you know, if people join, you know, there's a few, you know, there's X amount in Bitcoin to earn and they'll kind of test the waters and see that, you know, okay, are we getting more user acquisition here? Are those users playing more? And then once that starts to work, then they'll, they'll kind of slowly increase the, um, the kind of, uh, um, the, um, what say like the integration, um, Sorry, my wife just come back with from walking the dog. I'm gonna close the door. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, yeah, I think another thing that game studios are concerned about. So there's kind of, I guess, there's two sides to kind of Bitcoin. You have the more the wild west Bitcoin, you know, and um, where mm -hmm. anybody can do anything. And I think for, for something like that, like BTC Pay server is great, and um, our SDK works with BTC Pay server so that's kind of you know the kind of the bitcoin we like however these larger game studios you know they want to make sure their integration is completely regulated and legal you know what i mean so that's something that we offer that i suppose other ways of using lightning won't um right. yeah so that's how i see it um yeah so just to kind of summarize that we have like a few game studios we're kind of um doing some partnering with at the moment um and we have a, a way to kind of integrate bitcoin and lightning into some existing triple games but really i think mint gox is kind of the um the community and the ecosystem we're using to kind of crack the chicken and the egg problem which is like a game's not going to add lightning until there's a community for it and a community won't develop unless it's good games with lightning integrated. Um, yeah. Right. And, you know, and this is <clears throat> something, I, you know, a few of the other, you know, guests that I've had talking about gaming, uh, a large portion of them do not believe that AAA studios are incentivized to give up their own economies over to, you know, something like Bitcoin and lightning when they're making money hand over fist. I mean, Fortnite by itself is just, it's sick how much money they're making on their own token. You know, what would have to, yeah. do you think, do you, do you not agree? Yeah, or, no, Cause it, it sounds like that. Yeah. Well, I, I again, it, I think it's, um, it's kind of the thing that game developers in a way do game developers want to have like sound money in the game as a game developer you want to be like you know a dictator you want to be god you want to control everything in your universe um so i, I think kind of that's right. a, a very important aspect and i think you know i think having bitcoin in your game doesn't necessarily mean that bitcoin just replaces your token so one of the things we're doing at, at mint gox in a way is you know using bitcoin in new ways that people haven't maybe thought of for example i'm quite interested in the idea of kind of audience interaction with esports you know um that 
Um, a player can watch a game and, and they can stream some stats into the game or the game can stream them some stats out. Um, I think one of the issue with the token approach, though, is kind of, in a way, I think in a way it has to come from the users. I think ultimately the users will want real money than some random game token. <laughs> I'm not saying there's no place for a game token. Definitely, I think right labeling a currency or having a token can make it fun and you can do different things. But um, I think we kind of see this with a lot of the kind of blockchain games out there, right? It's like you play the game and you earn crypto, but you just earn this obscure token. <laughs> it's like the company yeah. just made. And I think it's no different with other game studios. So they're going to resist it, but maybe adding lightning and Bitcoin to a gaming, it, maybe it starts with the, um, the, the studios in the middle, right? Who are trying to get a competitive edge. Like how can we attract the users from these larger games and maybe offering Bitcoin is a way to do that, right? You know, if you're a user and you can, you know, earn money, which you just get and you don't have to like make an account and you don't have, you know, it, well, you can take out the game. I'm, I don't even think the the tokens in Fortnite you can probably take out. Maybe there's like a black market you can trade it on. I'm not sure. But yeah, the more free yeah. approach, I think, will win out in the long run, like in the short run as well, you know. That's sort of, I'm kind of thinking that along the same lines is, is that I think that, you know, large, like electronic arts, um, Bethesda, you know, game studios like that. I think at this moment, they're waking up every single day going, no, nah, don't care. I, I, we make way too much money now. And then it will be like, you know, mid-sized to small-sized game studios that say, well, we have no such restrictions because we're all poor and we would like to not be poor anymore. So we're going to start using Bitcoin and Lightning Network. And then all of a sudden, Bethesda and EA Games start to see a outflow of their customer base. And then it's like they have a choice. Yeah. We either do it now or we do it later. So I think left to their own devices. I think that they would never even consider it, but I don't think that they're going to be left to their own devices. And I think there is going to be a force play. It just depends on when that actually occurs and to what extent it hurts them. I think we see that I think. with technology in general, right? You know, you know, was it, um, yeah, you have like famous companies, you know, saying that so-and-so will never take off. Was it, was it Microsoft who said that, Linux or something is never will never be used. I can't remember all these yeah. things. Um, I, I guess, I think yeah. id Software had that with Nintendo as well, wasn't them? Um, id Software who made Doom and Quake. The first one of the first things they did is they managed to port Ma Mario to PC. I think that was it. Nintendo was the only console that could do side scrolling smooth because it was, had the right. hardware that was kind of specific for gaming but at pcs at the time they didn't have the capabilities to do smooth side scrolling so i think john carmack and they managed to make an algorithm that would make it work so they spent like a week just copying mario brothers and they sent it to nintendo uh -huh. and nintendo said eh, there's, there's no future in pc gaming right <laughs> yeah and steve balmer said there was no future in the iphone yeah exactly yeah so you know it's just you know it's it's nothing new right you know that large companies resist and they kind of have an incentive to because to be fair there's probably a bunch of different new tech and they're not sure which one is going to win you know and there are new techs that fail and the people who make that tech say well everybody said that the internet would fail but our tech is you know 
gonna succeed and obviously the ones that don't succeed um so yeah and as you know and as public as public companies you know they're beholden to their shareholders which is one of the problems can they legally if they take a a risk and they don't have evidence to back it up or something then yeah you know they, they, they can be sued yeah for sure yeah Exactly. Exactly. So let's switch gears just a little bit and tell me about the uh, Zebedee wallet yeah. and and the uh, ZBD.gg. Yeah. So I, I think we should probably start with the wallet first. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's actually not my department, but I know about it, so I can talk about it. Um, Andre, actually, the, okay. the CTO, he kind of leads that department. Uh, but yeah, um, ultimately, um, yeah, we want, I guess, we wanted to make a a wallet that is very smooth for gamers, you know, um, you know, the moment there's a lot of Bitcoin wallets out there, but generally sorry, lightning wallets, I guess the, you know, that they weren't specifically built for games. So we wanted to make one that, you know, we could use as, um, let me go back a bit. We actually have a bunch of ideas for protocols that we want to add to the LN kind of the lightning protocol, um, the LN, URL, which not to get too techy, this is kind of like a a protocol which is focused around applications and games that integrate with Lightning. And it's kind of a standard that we use. And there's a lot of problems with Lightning and gaming at the moment. One thing is like QR codes, right? You have to scan a QR code and it's annoying and it's not really smooth. And it's kind of a hangover from like the old days of Bitcoin. And it's a hangover from like buying coffee and things like this. It doesn't really make sense using gaming. Um, so we have a bunch of ideas and protocols that would let you kind of, you know, you link your wallet to a game and then the game can just stream the Bitcoin and you can stream the Bitcoin without having to press OK, etc. However, we can't really mm-hmm. make that and then expect other wallets to add it, right? You know, so we decided that we need right. to make a wallet. So we integrate it first. And if you use this wallet with our games, it's going to be the smoothest experience. And if you use another Lightning wallet, it's not going to be as smooth. So you should contact that Lightning wallet developer and pressure them to also add the same protocol. So at the moment, we've just right. released our Lightning wallet. So we haven't actually added these protocols yet. We've just basically done the basic okay. boilerplate of Lightning, which is you know scan QR codes. Um, we have the ability to get tips, you know, um, LN URL withdraw which is actually quite nice so if you play a game you can like press a button and it it opens your wallet and the wallet receives a tip we have stuff like discord login but ultimately where we're going is we're going to use this to enable kind of streaming in the game so you would play the mario kart game or you play you know some of the first person shooter games etc and just as you're playing you know, the wallet and the game are talking to each other and Bitcoin is being sent to it. Um, that will also let us do something like we could actually do lightning payments in VR. So we kind of, I have a prototype of a VR game and obviously in the VR, you can't like take your phone out and scan a QR code, right? So yeah, that's kind of what the wallet is for. Um, at the moment, we do have this gamer tag feature, which you mentioned and your gamer tag, it basically gives you like a lightning page where anybody can go to zbd.gg forward slash your name and um, they can tip you Bitcoin and you don't have to be online. You can kind of um, hand that page out. You can print the the QR code on the T-shirt. I have used it on live streams as well. So I get this 
QR code that the Zebedee wallet generates for me. I play a game on Twitch and I just put it on Twitch. And then if people watch it, they can tip me. Um, so that's like another gaming oriented feature. Yeah, but generally it, we mm -hmm. wanted to have a wallet that we have control over so we can really start to add these cool gaming focused um, features into it without having to you know, expect other wallets to do it, which, which they won't because they have their own priorities, you know, I guess, to focus on. Right. <clears throat> so the zbd.gg is just that, uh, what you were saying about the, the tipping thing for- At the moment, yeah. Uh, yeah. At okay. the moment, it, it gives you like a like a, um, a page, a link that you can send to somebody and they can tip you, or it also generates a QR code that it's always the same. So you can do that. Yeah, but right. it, it's also going to do other things like, you know, obviously it will let you log into games. And if you log into a game with the Zebedee um, GG kind of app, well, it, there would be a button on the game, you know, like, log in with discord log in with zebedee and then the game could just pay uh, you without having to you know link with your wallet or anything so yeah they're like things we're gonna add to that is so yeah. slick that's so slick so i'm assuming the dot gg stands for good yeah. game. <laughs> Yeah, that's what i thought that's what i thought um i wasn't gonna ask about the unity sdk but i what i it's it's that seems clear as to, you know, why Unity yeah. and, you know, why develop SDKs for Unity. But I noticed on y'all's uh, website, y'all have uh, positions open for Unreal yeah. software engineers. So does that just mean that y'all are branching out to be able to service the Unreal Yeah, engine? well, this is an important point. You can actually use the Zebedee um, in Unreal. You can use it in any game engine at the moment. It's just that um, I guess this is the difference between like an API and an SDK, I suppose. So the API, an SDK is kind of like an, a wrapper around an API. So the SDK is the easiest way to use it. And it works ah. with Unity. So it's kind of the easiest way. But an API, which in developer terms, we call a REST API. Anybody who's a developer will use a REST API. It's a, it's a slightly less, it's still easy, but it's a, you know, it's a little bit more involved, right? But that API... Um, will work in basically any game engine because all all programming languages support REST API. Yeah, so you can at the moment. However, we do want an Unreal developer, you know, to help us build like some sample games with Unreal, make some tutorials, etc., just to make it as smooth as possible. Nice. So any of you guys out there that are Unreal heads, uh, you know where to go if you want a job. So uh, maybe yeah. maybe you'll get a couple of hooks off of, off of this. Designers one. as well. So you know um, we're very we're scaling up very very quickly. Like we've only been going for about a year. So a lot of that was kind of disrupted with Mint Gox and building stuff. And we've got the wallet out. We've got the dashboard. We've got some sample games out. Yeah, but this year we're really going to try to level it up and um, you know make some more make our consumer facing products um a lot more accessible to everybody and uh, also create some new products which um i can't talk too much about but i've hinted that they're around triple a games and will let you kind of use bitcoin in triple a games so i'm excited and when that's out i'd love to come back and, and talk about that Oh, absolutely. When it is out, because I probably won't know. I mean, if you want to like, yeah. you know, coincide a, a release of a show, like on the day we that you guys release, yeah. let me know a couple we of- We might be announcing 
I was gonna say, 10, I would say, but uh, yeah, no problem. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Just, just let me know uh, beforehand and we'll uh, schedule a show that I can coincide with uh, y'all dropping news that triple uh, a game studio X or whatever is going to, you know, be playing around with, with Bitcoin. Uh, I kind of wanted to, you know, at the end of this, I kind of wanted to, to leave the world of Zebedee and Bitcoin and, or, uh, you know, Bitcoin and, and lightning networks and Zebedee and go into just gaming in yeah. general the use of Bitcoin and Lightning in general, what when I say that, Bitcoin and Lightning in gaming in general, what's your gut reaction? Well, my gut reaction is that it, it's it's nothing new. Um, and by what I mean that, I, I kind of think that the idea of having like cash and open like in gaming was that's how gaming works originally before the digital world, right? You know, people would play games for free. They play cards or they play chess, but also they'd spice it up a little bit with some money, right? And that's what people did. I, yes. I did that as a kid when I would play Monopoly at Christmas. We would like use our the candy that we got, you know, as the currency. But when every, everything went mm-hmm. digital, um, that kind of got lost just because you couldn't really digitally send payments. And then it kind of got perverted into like in-app purchases. So I really see kind of bringing Bitcoin and Lightning to gaming. It's just bringing it back to the, the normality, right? As you said, you, right you play a game, you earn some cash and you can use that cash to buy a taco or something. That's how it should be. Um. Yeah, exactly. I would love to be able to play a game, take my points and, you know, go down the street and trade goods and services with, you know, in the real world, if it's not a simulation, I, God only knows. <laughs> so uh, what I wanted to ask though, is that, you know, given that you, you've been in this for a long time, gaming, looking at gaming economies and now you're playing with Bitcoin and lightning. If you had a pie in the sky idea of how weird Bitcoin and lightning network inside a gaming could be, what would that function yeah. be? Um, yeah. I, I think I did. I, I did have a presentation on this, but like autonomous AI death bots that earn you money whilst you sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that would be so awesome because, you know, what would be really interesting is like, okay, AI, you know, AI driven death bots that are playing in, you know, some kind of, you know, digital landscape that real world people can actually watch. And through their actions of streaming like Satoshi's to their favorite player's death bot could increase or in some ways possibly decrease the ability of that death bot to be able to bring home the bacon to the owner. Yep. Almost as if you're trolling the guy while he's sleeping. And he, when he wakes up, he realized, oh, God, that asshole that I hate completely destroyed my ability to, you know, I, I could see that actually being like, uh, like that's sort of like metagaming well, at yeah. that point. So you know? one of the issues that I actually had and um, once I started to add Bitcoin into gaming is that people start to make bots to play the game to get all the Bitcoin. And then you get to this point, well, how do we mm. kind of like ban the bots? You know, and then I think, well should we ban the bots? Bitcoin is money for robots as well. And then I thought, um, this is this is popular website, which is called SaltyBet. And it's kind of it's like a fake <laughs> money, but it's basically people watch bots fight each other and they basically bet with fake money on, on who would win. And I thought, well, you know, we could basically uh-huh. do that with Bitcoin, like that people choose a bot, they kind of send Satoshis to this bot and the bot fights on their behalf. And then, you know, yeah give them the money back and then yeah it's 
it's possible. Like I've been playing around a little bit with it actually myself. But I think that's quite an interesting new aspect that is like a bit out there, I suppose. And, um, well, see, because what I was, well, I was just thinking that you know, you know who Richard Gary it is. No, I don't. Uh, he was the guy behind the Ultima, oh, yeah. uh, Ultima yeah, game. Yeah, I watched like a thing um, on YouTube about him. So yeah, yeah, I know the guy. Well, he had, I can't remember the name of the game. It was, you know, millions of dollars of development, if not tens. Actually, it was, okay, it was probably $100 million of development. It died. But it was like a, a science fiction game. But he introduced the notion of what's called an instance. So you've you've got a situation where you've got, you know, it's like any other MMO. It's a first person, you know, first person perspective, uh, massively multiplayer online game. So the world is persistent, right? So you drop out of the game, stuff happens, you come back in and you're like, oh my God, what happened? Something's changed, you know, uh, except in these, he had it to where he was tired of people in some of his other MMOs getting killed all the time and you know, they wanted to be able to provide an experience for the players where they could just pop into an instance of a dungeon and it's just them in that dungeon and what they do and the monsters they fight and the experience they gain without any other external, you know, externalities coming into, you know, to, uh, to bear like, you know, the, the dreaded player killers yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or PKs that would come in. And I was thinking, you know, like, let's take the, uh, I'm so sorry. I forgot the name of the racing Uh, game. It's Bitcoin Rally. (laughs) Bitcoin Rally. I'm so sorry. I just, I'm, 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 I feel remiss. Um, In Bitcoin, Bitcoin Rally, you know, I could see it to where, you know, from what I understand, there's the ability for players to throw a power up to the to like their favorite racer. That does that occur? So, uh, yeah, the audience can like drop. So, when they watch the live stream, they can drop. They can pay two hundred and fifty sats at the moment to drop a power up, and any racer can pick that up. Yeah. Now, is it? Is it? I mean, can I drop it in a specific place on the? No, map? at the moment it's random. Yeah, it's. it's yeah. Okay, but it, let's say you could. Let's say that not only that I that you could, but like let's say that I can visit that like some. You know, there's a whole bunch of players that are actually doing the race. Okay, they're they're in the race. And I get into that world, like either through, you know, 2D screen or virtual reality. And I'm a spectator in stands at that race. And I have the ability to throw the power up, which means that I, I need to target fairly well and have my timing, yeah. you know, if, cause I want to throw a power up to my favorite, my favorite race. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like, well, somebody could brigade this and you've, if you can bring in a hundred players and they're all throwing to you because you're the racer and that you've got them all thrown to you, you're going to win the game. But I'm also thinking, what if you were able to throw an instance at one of these guys where all, you know, you're driving along and your enemies, you know, one, one of your enemies or the person that doesn't want you to win wants his own guy to win throws an instance at you and you fall into a hole. And depending on how much I paid for that instance to throw at you is how long it's going to add seconds to your, you know, to your, or like, you know, basically kind of put you behind in the race. But in that instance, you know, it's computer generated and, or, you know, well, obviously computer generated, but I mean, like there's like a little map and it's just you, you've come, you've fallen out of the race, you're in a hole and you're in like a tube and you've got your own little obstacles and you have the chance as a racer 
to be able to not lose any time because of things that were placed, you know, through auto generation in that thing and then pop out the other side. And you could either lose time or you could not, you know, maybe even gain time, but that would be up to the racer themselves. But all of a sudden you get the situation where you've got a fight between the people that want you to win and the people that don't want you to win. And I keep thinking about this going, shit, I would love to see that. Yeah, I think that's like a, a great idea. Like I said, I'm, I'm all for this audience kind of interaction. Like what we have at the moment is quite simple, but it's something I want to kind of expand on. And I, I actually thought of it, a, thought of the idea. It's not exactly like the instance, but the audience in a way, they could kind of like, you know, flip a switch or, or do something which kind of like, you know, like how a train, how it changes the tracks and it would force players to go on a different route. Yes. Stuff like that. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's um, there's loads of stuff I want to do, but not enough time to do it. So, uh, one thing I actually want to do as well, though, is um, I kind of got this idea from watching a thing on gladiators, and uh, what gladiators would do is they would try and get the audience to like them, because if the audience liked uh-huh. them, then at the end, if the gladiators, you know, was he didn't definitively win or lose. The emperor would decide, right, whether they live or die. If the right. audience likes the gladiator, the emperor would let them live because, you know, the emperor doesn't want to annoy the people. So I was thinking that right. what I'd like to do is that on the track, it doesn't have to be Bitcoin Rally. It could be another game like Bitcoin Bounty Hunt, the first person shooter. But there's like a mini quest or there's something that's, you know, the user, they in a way they jeopardize they might lose a second or they have to go out of the way to do it, like to find this gem or this power up. But by doing that, that rewards the audience. The kind of the game will then send a Bitcoin. The game will then send Bitcoin to the audience. And then in a way, the players will be fighting for the audience's kind of love. And then the audience after the fact can decide which player to reward, you know, with a power up, something like that. So I I really want to kind of increase this, relationship between it yeah i think see this is this is the wonderful thing about where this is going because we see this you know e-gaming has become so huge that you have these very large stadiums that are set up and they are packed to the brim Mm -hmm. and yet all they can do at this point is spectate and now we have the ability for you know a virtual reality standpoint of the exact same instantiation or just keep it you could keep it physical have everybody physically in, you know, the, the, oh God, the esports you know, arena and still be able to participate in this way. And all I can think of is how much more fun would that be than watching a baseball game for nine innings? And I like baseball. Well, in a way, the audience kind of does it through cheering. In a way, that's probably the audience's kind of cry of trying to kind of channel something to the players, right? You know, and then like a baseball player right. might throw a ball at somebody and they catch it. I don't know. So I guess it's always been there, but it's just, I guess, yeah, it's, um, I guess you couldn't really do it in a, a physical world without it just being chaotic, right? You know, kind of money flying. Oh, but what, yeah, but what would that, you know, like what would fall out of that chaos? See, that's a great thing about chaos is that that's where, you know, all organic things, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, organic life forms or just, you know, organic chemistry, just the way that the universe sets up these weird patterns and you don't know how they came yeah. about. That's the thing that I love about chaos is that people go, like, Oh, chaos theory means that everything's going is anarchy and it's going to be hell in a handbasket. And I'm like, no, 
there's all manner of like very serious long-term patterns that are set up that come out of chaos. The fact that you don't know how they were built is the chaos itself. And, but all of a sudden we have these patterns, you know, that, that last for, you know, millennia, a hundred years, a decade. I mean, look at fiat currency that came up out of a certain amount of internal chaos of, you know, controlling authoritative governments and, it lasted for about a, you know, they last for about a hundred years and then they just sort of go away, you know? I mean, but I would, I, I'm in a situation here where like, this is something that, you know, the chaos could be embraced to build new game models. Oh, yeah. And cause you never know what the hell's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, um, that anyway, that's kind of what Mint Gox is. And it's kind of with Mint Gox at the moment, we're trying to, I'm trying to have like, kind of two sections of Mint Gox. One is that we have like games that are quite professional and they kind of work well and, you know, there's no bugs and kind of thing and people play and enjoy. But I'm also toying with the idea that we host this other Mint Gox, which is a lot more experimental. And um, we kind of do uh -huh. it at the moment. I think last month I did something called Test Drive, which is it, basically I was trying to test bugs in the game, but I just said, hey, you know, let's just spin up a quick Mint Gox so we can test this with some new features. I think maybe expanding on that, you know, kind of have like a mint gox where we try out these new ideas with audience participation. You see, well, that didn't really work, but it doesn't matter because it was just like a, a, a chaotic test mint gox. And then we kind of have this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, um, fertile kind of environment to kind of try and come up with new ideas. Yeah. I think this whole I think this whole thing is going to change, you know, the amount of gaming models that we have because honestly when you look at computer games you got first person shooters, you got MMOs, you got strat real-time strategy games, you got platformers. I'm like let me, you know, just I can't remember but there's probably two more. That's six yeah. basic gaming models and honestly, I think that's going to explode because of the ability to put real world value inside of this virtual world. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It's going to be, it's, especially once incentives change, like, give me like, so there's kind of one, um, I'll give like a quick, interesting anecdote with the Bitcoin rally game. So in the game, um, if you finish like in the top three, or it depends on the race, but if you finish in the top position you get a larger bitcoin prize however there are actual coins like mario coins across the track which you can collect and those coins if you don't use them because these coins you can also use them as bullets to kind of knock other players out but if you don't do that you can right. withdraw those coins at the end um but we had a one player who knew he kind of knew that he wasn't gonna finish in a top position so his strategy was to not finish the race and drive around the wrong way picking up all the coins so he kind of made his own mini game inside the game right so i think i think what we're going to see is a lot of games being broken by going to the game uh, however that breaking of the game will probably make people game developers think okay well well it's not wrong because the users are doing what they want to do so m maybe that will kind of be the birth of new kind of gameplay ideas or, or new concepts um yeah yeah like the the idea of not banning yeah. bots and how yeah. do you how do you work with it instead yeah, of exactly. you know burning energy on trying to stop or something it. i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well listen yeah. uh I, I, we are at what at an hour and 35 minutes and I'm, i want to let you go but there is something i wanted to ask you because it goes back to that twitch or sorry twitch 
streaming thing. Uh, are you aware of Sphinx yeah, chat? Yeah, of course. Okay. Have you talked to those guys about like, kind of like hooking up and just seeing if something falls out of something like that? They're probably busy as you guys are, <laughs> but I don't know, man. That just seems like, you yeah, know, so at least you know, I have been speaking to, I haven't been speaking to them directly, but we've got to kind of have speaking to other developers and it kind of goes to, I, I guess you're, you're thinking more about the key send or streaming kind of concept. Yeah. yeah. So the, from a development point of view, there's in a way there's kind of two competing protocols on this at the moment. The the key send stuff in a way is a lot more friendly to I guess Lightning wallets and developers to implement. But there's another protocol called LN URL Pay, which isn't technically it's not as smooth as the key send stuff. It's not as efficient, but it's a lot easier for application de developers who want as technical to implement. So I guess we're trying to figure out, we'll probably end up supporting both, you know? Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we should really probably talk to them directly, you know? Um, like I said, everybody is busy focusing on their own things. And generally what would happen is we'd meet at a conference sometime and we'd have a beer and then we'd connect, but that hasn't happened this year, I think. So, um, yeah, all of us are dying. You know, like I, I went to Bitblock Boom. That was the only Bitcoin conference that was live and, and in person, yeah. you know, well, this year. States are a bit and we had pretty, a Well, I'm, we're not locked down. We were in lockdown, but lockdown finishes tomorrow. But we, I exit uh -huh. lockdown, but I go into tier three, which is exactly the same as lockdown. They just changed the name. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we can't do anything. Oh, man. Yeah, our hearts go out to you. I mean, at least those of us that live in, you know, I live in a town that's like, you know, sub 20,000 people. Nobody here, you know, they're, they're, they'll wear, you know, they wear masks, yeah. they go to the store, you know, they, they go to restaurants, restaurants are at 50% capacity, you know, that kind of thing. But even if restaurants were like closed down, you know, people would be out doing stuff. And, and from what I understand, it's much more severe, like in the UK and, and other, you know, other European countries for sure. Hello. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh sorry. yeah. I'm here. My cat. Did, did no, you lose my me? cat just jumped on my keyboard and muted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love, I love cats. They're, they're, they're the way that will, you know, again, chaos theory. There, there you go. Well, now's the, the last part of the show is your shill fest. I need you to shill whatever it is that you need to, but specifically let people know how to at least get a hold of you and then shill everything. Yes, else. I'm known as Mandelduck on Twitter. Um, so if you want to follow me, you can do that. I think the best place, if you want to find out more, like if you're a developer, definitely check out Zebedee and join our Discord. But probably most of the listeners are going to be more players and users. So check out Mint Gox and join our Discord. The next Mint Gox is on December the 27th. Basically, for two hours, we all go online and we play a bunch of games. And we have like five, between five million and six million, it, it changes each month of sats that we just want to give away to everybody by playing games. So yeah, Mint Gox is the best place to join and, and sign up. Awesome. Well, I, man, we've, we're at like almost an hour and 40 minutes, which puts you in the lead of the longest podcast that I've ever recorded. Well, Thank you for oh, your time, it. Christian. It's this has been a lot of fun. It was, I mean, I, I have fun doing these interviews, but just being able to dive into pie in the sky ideas and, and, you know, it may not have a hope in hell of working, but some of these ideas are going to end up spawning 
you know, other things. And I, I just, I can't wait to see what Mint Gox, uh, Zebedee and all the rest of this crew, because it, you know, from lightning labs all the way to you guys, you know, through thunder games, it seems like it's becoming a very tight knit community and, you know, I, watching everybody in that community kind of lift each other up is really, you know, it's a little heartwarming, but also it's like kind of scary because I see the potential for giant game companies to basically fall. I really do. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's uh, the Roman empire fell, right? <laughs> sure did. Sure did. So uh, stay on the line, but uh, go ahead and say goodbye to the audience and uh, we'll talk to you. Yeah. Later. See you later audience. Okay, man. Bye-bye, Christian. Man, that was a long one. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I sure did. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.